All right, good morning. I'm excited to start a new series with you. We're going to be talking about relationships. I mean, if being sheltered in place for a long time in close proximity to a few people have taught us anything, it's we probably need to work on relationships, right? Because uh, when relationships are going good, man, there is nothing like them. They are like mom's butterscotch oatmeal cookies. That's my thing, man. Uh, you put you put in your favorite whatever. When 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 relationships are good, man, they are nourishing and they are sweet to the soul. That's what I ask for my birthday every year: butterscotch oatmeal cookies. That's a hint, by the way. Uh, if you want to make me some. Um, but when relationships are going bad, man, they're messy. It's rough. It's difficult. It's tough, and it causes so much damage. We are starting this series, gotchas, because here's what I believe: so much of the pain. And the problems that we face in our relationships can actually be avoided if we will go about doing things the way God intended us to do them. There's a certain number of issues that seem to pop back up time and time again that, that, that we're going to call gotchas for this series. That just It doesn't matter if we're talking about marriage relationships or uh, dating relationships or family or neighbors or work people or school uh, that these same few issues keep popping up and are trying to ruin all the different relationships in our life. And so we're going to look at those together. You know the one constant in every argument, every, every conflict, every problem in a relationship you've ever had, the one conflict, or the one constant is you. It's you. You were there. And you were part of the problem, right? So we're going to be looking at that. You know what the one thing is that you can't control when there's a problem in a relationship? It's the other person and their, and their response to things. And so the, the ironic thing is, is simply this. We put so much, at least I do, so much energy and attention in the flaws and the problems of the other person where there's a conflict in one of my relationships and too little time, so much less time dealing with what I brought, the brokenness that I've brought into that relationship and my part of the problem. If we continue to do that, focusing on their faults and not our faults, you know what we're doing? We're doomed to repeat the same problems over and over and over again. So in this series, what we want to do is just look, take an honest look at some of these things that are, are true of us, that are messing up relationships, so that we can go about fixing them God's way and doing them God's way to have healthy, powerful relationships in our life. So uh, we're going to be spending most of our time in James chapter 4, but I want to take you first to a book called Song of Solomon. and um, It is a book written, written about relationships. It's literally a how-to in relationships. And so if you didn't realize that, that book is powerful in how we deal with one another. It's a, it's a love story about Solomon and his bride, and they're in love, and they're on the mountaintops of bliss in their relationship. But it also shows them in the dark valleys of conflict and problems in their relationship. And I love that because it's so honest about how relationships really are. We don't get to stay up on the mountaintop. We always have to deal with the other stuff, too. It's so honest. And here's what the Scripture says there. Starting in chapter 2, it says, Catch for us the foxes. The little foxes that ruin the vineyards are vineyard that is in bloom. 
what they're talking about here is a metaphor, and the vineyard is their relationship. And they're saying, listen, when it is healthy, it is, it is blooming, it is beautiful, it is nourishing, it is life-giving, and our relationship is supposed to look like that. And yet, there's these little foxes that come in, are trying to devour, these little problems that keep popping up, are trying to eat up the goodness in our relationship and leave us empty. They call them foxes, these little problems that we have. They rob us of the joy, the intimacy, and the contentment we can have in our relationship. And when when problems like this, these little foxes pop up in your relationship and mine, we have some choices on what we can do with them. We can ignore them. We can pretend like the foxes don't exist. We can act like everything's hunky-dory when the reality is our relationship's getting eaten up. We can, um, we can just deny that we have any problem or part of it and justify our own behavior. We can blame the other person and it's all their fault, or we can blame the circumstances that we're in, and if my job was better, or if our work was better, or if our finances were better, and then things would be better. Or, or we can say, you know what, there's foxes. There's these little things running around that we need to catch, we need to deal with, we need to, we need to contain so that our relationship will flourish. The first little fox we're going to look at in this series, there's going to be three more. The first one we're going to look at today is this issue of conflict. When we argue, when we fight, when we quarrel, I'm sure nobody has that problem, right? Probably got in a fight on the way over here. And then you smile when you get into church, right? Every couple fights. Every good relationship that's a good friendship ultimately has disagreements. It's not a matter of if we will have conflict, but how we have conflict. And the good relationships, the good couples, the good friends learn how to do it well. And so it starts with, if we're going to do it well, it really starts with understanding where does conflict come from. So look at here, James chapter 4, verse 1, it, it says right out of the gate exactly where conflict comes from. What causes fights and quarrels among you? That's what we're asking, right? Where, where is this coming from? Where does it come from? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you. He's saying, listen, you can look out here, you can say this is the problem, but ultimately the reason we have conflict in our relationship is us. We don't have to look any further than inside of ourselves. And God's going right to the, the cause, right out of the gate here. He's saying, let's not mess with the symptoms. You know, when you're sick, most of the time we deal with symptoms, don't we? We deal with symptoms. If you're stopped up and you can't breathe and you're talking like this, you go to the store, you get a decongestant, so everything starts flowing. When you got a cough and it's keeping you up and it's keeping someone else up, they tell you, go get a cough suppressant so you can get some sleep and I can get some sleep. If you got a fever, you get some ibuprofen and you deal with a fever. But all of those aren't the cause or the symptoms. God says, let's go right to the source and deal with why we have conflict. And it's in us. And it's the same source whether we're talking about fights or quarrels, and there's a difference there. Fights in this context has to do with very open, divisive kind of things. Think Hatfields and McCoys. You know, I could just draw a line down the middle. We'd have the Hatfields and McCoy show here. That's, that's a fight. That's open division. Think of a church split when people get angry and take sides and, and name call and bash. Think of our political environment today. That's a fight. And the same source also causes what he calls quarrel, causes 
quarrels here, and the quarrels are, are less obvious. It, it may not manifest itself in something verbal or outside, but it is, it is harboring bitterness and resentment towards someone else, and you just can't seem to let go, and you, you can't seem to, to bring yourself to, to talk with them or, or be kind to them or, or go out of your way to forgive them. It's a quarrel. It's the same source for both of those. And the source is this desire's within us, within you, within me. That's the source of every single conflict you've ever had is the, is the desires within you or, to be fair, the desires within the person you're fighting with, right? And let's just say we're average people. If you're the average person and I'm the average person, that means half of the arguments and the conflicts that you've ever been in have been your fault, about half. All right, you might think a little higher of yourself or a little lower of yourself, but about half were your fault. See, there's something inside of us that battles the, the, the plan of God to have healthy, life-giving relationships. There's something within us that keeps trying to sabotage our relationships and causing us to be, have conflict with one another. And this idea of desires, it really is just about um, cravings, the cravings we have in our own bodies and our own appetites. And look what Paul says. I want you to just see very quickly in, in uh, Romans chapter 7. This is how he describes this battle within him. He says this, I do not understand what I do. Anybody else felt that way? I don't get myself. I don't know why I do what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is, in my sinful natures. He's saying, listen, this isn't, and this isn't just Paul's problem. This is, this is an us problem. This is an everybody problem. That every single believer in Christ, if you're a follower of his, you have this same internal struggle and battle happening within you. That as a believer of Christ, you have been indwelled. That means you've been given the presence of the spirit of the living God who is always good and always holy and always right. And at the same time, you have this alien army camped around your heart called the sinful nature. And it is always trying to overthrow the rule of God in your life. Always trying to overthrow the rule of His love and mercy in your relationships. And causing you to do things you don't, don't really want to do. In fact, it will cause you to think of yourself first. To say things you really don't want to say and to do things that you ultimately regret. Listen very clearly. Your own sin nature and my own sin nature is the single greatest threat to every single one of our relationships. It isn't out there, and it isn't in them. It's right here. This is the single greatest threat to every one of our relationships. In fact, let me just say it this way. Your conflict with others, whoever you're conflicting with, whatever the issue and the argument has been, your conflict with others ultimately comes from the conflict within you. That's the source. That's the reason. Other things may be symptoms, but this is the ultimate cause of why we keep having conflict with other people. It is the bad desires that battle within my heart and your heart and their heart. That's why. That's why. And so he's going to 
he's going to go on in this passage in just a second and show us exactly what it looks like when we have a heart that is just not right, when our heart or their heart is just not right, and we're being influenced more by this alien, alien army than we are the spirit of the living God, then it will ultimately ruin our, our relationships in several different ways. And so let's take a look at them, starting in verse 2. It says, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. See, this encamped army of a sinful nature manifests itself in some four very specific ways that are true of you and are true of me. And if we're not careful, can rule and dominate our hearts and our lives and ruin our relationship, causing conflict with people around us. And the first one I want to point to is this idea of desires. He said it in verse 1. He says it in verse 2. There's these desires in us that do battle against us. In other places in the Bible, it's translated the word lust. It's the idea of, sin, of fleshly cravings, the things that our body says it needs to have. Now, these can be very subtle. It can be things like being hangry. It can mean uh, being cranky when you get tired. It can mean uh, not trusting God so you stress eat or you bring stress home from work. Let me ask you something. How many of the conflicts you've been in have been because you were tired, hungry, or stressed out? Isn't that like most of them? Doesn't that just catch a big bunch of them when we just when we give into these fleshly desires and, and allow those things to dominate our mood and dominate how we act towards other people? It's these desires. And instead of those desires, we can choose though to obey the will of God and, and follow his plan. Some of those desires are a little more overt. They can be things like sexual temptation, giving into that, uh, or substance abuse. Uh, can even mean uh, being greedy at other people's expense. And those are premeditated, those are dangerous, and ultimately destructive. But whether we're talking about being hangry or, or something far worse, listen, those desires that rage in us account for so much of the heartache and problems that we face in our relationships. God says, listen, you have those desires, but I can give you self-control. You and I don't have to give in to the desires. When our body says it's time to eat, we, don't, we can say, listen, I don't, I don't have to eat. When your body says you need to be mad and angry because you haven't had enough sleep, you can choose to say, no, I'm going to have a different attitude even though I'm tired. And God says, listen, my solution for you when the desires are raging within you is self-control. Self-control. Second problem in our, in our own hearts is this idea of being covetous. He says, listen, you covet, but you don't get what you want. Letting material possessions getting in the way of our relationships. I see this all the time. If we get jealous of somebody's car or their home or their stuff or whatever they have, we don't like that, so then we don't like them, and then we start saying things about them, and before you know, we're spreading things about them that may not even be true. Why? Because we covet. We see it when, uh, when a family member dies and there's an inheritance and siblings and other people are battling and fighting over things when it really isn't all that important. 
We see it when we're trying to keep up with other people and have what they have or, or try to fill a hole by buying things that we don't need. And, and ultimately, we provide stress in our marriage. We provide stress with a roommate when, when we make those decisions because we covet things. We, we put ourselves in a financial situation that causes stress and heartache in other relationships. See, coveting is, is using people and loving things instead of loving people and using things. God says, listen, my, my solution to coveting is simply contentment. Contentment. And I promise you, you have never heard a commercial promoting contentment. You've never seen a marketing campaign that says you need to be content with what you already have. Those sneakers that you have are good enough. No, you got the new ones coming out. You got to have the new Jordans. You got to have the new shoe. Every message we get from our culture says, listen, don't be content. Be covetous. Someone else might get that, so you've got to get that. And believe me, it causes conflict. Third area that might cause this, this alien nature of sinfulness to well up in our relationships is called pride. And he said it this way. He says, you, you don't have because you don't ask God. Let me ask you, what would be, why would we not want to go to God? If we had a need, we had a problem, we had an issue, what would cause us to not want to go and ask God for help? It's pride. That's the only answer. I've got this. I don't need his help. I don't need, I don't want God's help. It's called the sin of self-reliance that I can do for me, and I don't need God's interference or intervention at this point in my life. I don't know about you, but I have thought many times that, you know, today's just going to be a normal day, just an average day, and so I don't have anything outstanding going on. I'm just going to put it on autopilot, and I really don't need God's help to get through the day. You ever thought that way? And I'm realizing that's simply not true. We have no idea what a day may hold. We have no idea what relationship conflict could come up. We have no idea what's going to happen at work or school. We have no idea what opportunities we could have to bless and encourage someone else with our words or our deeds. And literally every single day, we need to start the day recognizing that we desperately need God's intervention and help in our daily lives. Top of my list, I have a, I have a playlist in, in YouTube for worship music, and the first song on it, the one I play more than any other song, is by Matt Marr. It's called Lord, I Need You. You probably know the song. I'm not singing it for you. You're welcome. But I love that song because it says this, Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. You are my one defense. You are my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. The opposite of that is pride is, God, I don't need you. I can handle this. But God's saying, listen, you need to understand that absolutely you need me. You have no idea the wreck and the problem that pride will cause in your relationship. Pride will cause you to be closed off and keep people at arm's length. Pride will cause you to think that you are always right. Pride will, pride will keep you from admitting your faults when you're at fault. God, uh, pride will make you defensive and judgmental. That's what pride does. And can I tell you, those things I just described, that does not ever produce an open, healthy relationship. It only destroys what God intends to build. 
fourth way this sin nature manifests itself in this passage is, is sinfulness. It says when you ask, you don't receive because you ask for wrong motives because you want to take whatever God would give you in prayer and then use it for your own, uh, for your own pleasure. You're, you're being selfish in your prayers. You're being selfish in your motivation. It's all about you and putting yourself first. You want a recipe for a really bad relationship? Is two people both looking out for themselves first. That is a recipe for a terrible relationship every single time. And if you want a recipe for a great relationship, it's this. It's two people willingly and gladly deferring themselves for the good of the other. That's a great relationship. That always works. Because there's give and take. There's listening. There's compromise. There's blessing. There's serving one another. Selfishness gets in the way of that. And there's a, there's a prevailing thought in our world today, in our culture today, that says hedonism is good. You know what hedonism is? Hedonism is saying these desires that are within you are okay, that they're instinctual, and that if you feel uh, you need something, then you should have it, and, and that your happiness is ultimately the highest good, and that you should pursue it. If you want it, you should have it. That's what hedonism is that I should obey my, my desires of my flesh above all things else. The problem is, is it makes for terrible relationships. If you have two people pursuing that both independently, they are never going to get on the same page. This hedonistic lifestyle wants to feed our flesh, get everything that it can, do everything on its own, and serve its own purposes first. And I promise you, that will bring death to any relationship. If I'm just being transparent, that, that, that attitude in me has killed relationships in my past. Maybe it's killed relationships in your past. Maybe it's killing one right now, and you recognize that, man, I'm putting my happiness and my wants and my desires and these impulses I have above the good of the relationship and ahead of the good of the family, ahead of good of you fill in the blank. So the question is, what do we do about this? I mean, we've identified that one of the key gotchas in our life is this idea of conflict and that, that these, these desires battle within us. And we've identified what they look like, things like selfishness and pride and coveting and desires. The question is, what do we do about it? How do we catch the little fox of conflict to keep it from ruining the relationship in our life? God has a beautiful solution. He's the solution giver. He's the one that can give us self-control and contentment, and selfishness. And this is what James is inspired to write. Next verse, verse 4. He says, you adulterous people, meaning your heart has, has strayed away from God. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor or grace to the humble. 
the reason, I mean, the solution that we have that God provides for you and I is humility. I love how it states it in that passage. If you want God to work against your finances, be prideful in your finances. If you want God to work against you in your relationships, have pride in your relationships. If you want God to work against you in any area of your life, simply be proud. And he says, I will oppose you in that. But he says, if you want my help, if you want me to come alongside, if you want me to make up and fill the gaps where you're insufficient, then be humble before you, and I will show you favor and grace. It's humility. Humility. And humility is a daily, sometimes hourly choice you and I have to make. That this isn't about me, and it's not about what I want, and it's not about my happiness, it's not about my desires. But there's something bigger and greater at stake. We can choose to follow God and His Spirit that resides within us, or we can choose to follow the sinful nature. That is also in there as well. I heard a story one time about an Indian chief, a Native American Indian, and he was instructing a, a young boy in the tribe, and, and he was talking about this, that there's this eternal, internal conflict happening inside of every single one of us. And the way he described it is there's two dogs living in each one of us. And he said the one dog is dark and evil and selfish and seeks power and seeks its own way and seeks hate and dwells in darkness and it's evil. And he said, and there's another dog that lives inside of every one of us that is light and joy and peace and kindness and love and gentleness and it's beautiful and it's good. And he said, those two dogs are always doing battle with one another inside of your spirit. And then he went silent. And the young boy thought about it for a minute. He says, well, which dog wins? And the old wise man said, the dog you feed will win. The dog that you continue to feed will grow and grow and grow and consume the other dog within you. Guys, as followers of Christ, we have an option, we have a choice that we can feed the spirit of the living God inside of us so that his goodness will take center stage of our lives. It would be the all-consuming power in us that this other darkness of our sinful nature will slowly be put to death and slowly be crushed, that the spirit of God consumes it. And we don't look like we used to look, and we don't say what we used to say, and we don't do what we used to do, because the Spirit of the living God is a powerful, growing force within us. That's how we win. That's how conflict will cease. Conflict won't cease as as hate grows. Conflict ceases as love and the Spirit of God grows in each one of us. And so it's a daily choice to choose his path over our path. It's a daily, hourly choice sometimes to choose God's leadership over our own leadership. It's a daily, hourly, moment-by-moment choice sometimes to say, listen, my rights I, I can give up because he's got rights to my life. It takes humility to say that, doesn't it? This is not my life anymore, it's his. He bought it with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, and my body is not my own, and my life is not my own, and my goals are not my own, that they are ultimately subjected to the one who is all-wise and all-knowing and all-good, my heavenly Father, and I defer my rights 
to him. And as we yield our lives to God in that way, ultimately we can yield our lives to each other in relationships. Do you know how hard it is to argue and stay mad at somebody who's humble? It, it's, it's maddening. Do you know how hard it is to argue with somebody who is humble in the moment of the argument? It might sound like this. My wife and I have a deal. If she cooks, I clean dinner up. If, if I cook, she cleans. It works pretty good. But every once in a while, I get lazy. And she'll cook, and then she'll take someone to soccer practice, and she'll come home, and the dishes are still in the sink. And the question might come up. What's up with the dishes? If I chose humility in that moment, you know what that sounds like? Man, I am so sorry. I'm being selfish right now. I, I've had a long day, but that is no excuse. I'm so sorry you even had to ask me. Let me go fix that. Let me clean those dishes right now. So sorry. Is the argument over? It's over. Or if somebody comes home and they've had a long day and, and work's been tough or school's been tough and, and there's so much pressure from the outside on them and they start hitting people with zingers and, and saying things that are hurtful and mean to other people. And someone says, you seem like you're upset. Or why are you talking to me that way? Humility says, oh my gosh, you're right. Man, I am following this alien army of my sinful nature. I, I, I'm letting the pressure of these other things. I'm taking something out on you that has nothing to do with you. And listen, I just want you to know, I'm sorry for speaking to you that way. Will you forgive me? It's kind of hard to argue with, isn't it? It seems like that's kind of over. When we own up, when we, when we have the bravery and the humility to own up to these conflicts within us that are battling within us in the moment that it starts overpouring into the relationships around us, can I tell you something? God will heal our relationships and give us new intimacy and new life in them. You're going to be hard to argue with. You're going to be hard to stay mad at. Because in humility, you are choosing God's way. And I'll just put it to you this way on your blanks there. If we'll place God first, if we'll yield our lives to Him on a moment-by-moment -moment basis, that'll enable us that we'll be able to put other people second, meaning that we go third. We can't do this apart from the power of the living God inside of us. When we yield our lives to Him, we realize life isn't about me, and maybe it's about something bigger than me, and I can give my, way, my life away to other people because they are made in the image of God, and I'm put, put in their life to love them like my God loves me. I get to love them. And so I go third. That's how you have a healthy relationship. That's what it looks like. That's how we defeat conflict in our life. It starts right here in you, and it starts right here in me. Now, we don't play the blame game anymore. We say, God, I'm going to own everything in me that doesn't look like you. I'm going to close with an illustration. And uh, you can make a triangle with your fingers. You've probably seen this before. If God's at the top of the triangle, Joaquin, I'm going to need you in a second. 
if he's at the top and you and the person you're uh, in relationship with are in the bottom two corners, as you get closer to God and they get closer to God, guess what? You get closer to each other, don't you? That's good, right? Now put it up to your eye. I knew you are a bunch of Illuminati. Look at you. Okay. I couldn't help myself. All right. I actually like this better. So you know what a Venn diagram is? This is Joaquin, by the way. This hoop's going to represent God. I stole these out of the youth room. Appreciate that. And let's say this is the two people in the relationship. If they have a relationship with God and, and you have a relationship with God, you know where the sweet spot in that relationship is? Right here. Right there in the middle where you're connected with each other and you're connected with God and you have commonality and you have common love and you have common values and you have common purpose. And that is where the relationship stays strong and where Ecclesiastes says a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And you know what? As you grow closer in God and you yield more of your life to God and you give Him more of yourself and you're more obedient, you're more humble, guess what? Not only does God become more of a force in your life, He becomes a greater presence. Where? In the relationships in your life. You know when it gets good? And you can't control this, but when the other person does the same thing, look. Look how beautiful that relationship becomes. That so much of who you are is grounded in the love and mercy and forgiveness and grace of God. And this is what God's plan is for every single one of our relationships, is that we would love people like God has loved us. Give him praise for that. Thank you, buddy. Now, before we pray... We've been talking this entire time about people who have God in their life, that, that Christ has become a reality to you, and you have a relationship with the Heavenly Father, and there's a connection with God. But I want to talk about the person that doesn't have that. that, that, that there's a Heavenly Father that loves you, but for whatever reason, you seem like there's a barrier blocking you from connecting with Him. There's, there's something that's keeping you from having a relationship with Him. And no matter how much you pray or go to church or, or, or try to do the right thing, it just seems like you can never seem connected to the living God. Guess what? This barrier that's blocking you from God is sin. It's the rebelliousness in your heart that we talked about, this sin nature that we literally inherited from Adam and Eve, and every generation and every person has been born with this brokenness inside of us, and it keeps us from relationship with our Heavenly Father. And yet God in His mercy and infinite wisdom sent His Son, Jesus Christ, that who bore on the cross all of that sin that separates you from God. And by His grace, He removes it from us, and that if we trust in Christ as our Savior and Lord, believing He took and removed the sin from us because His death on the cross was sufficient, we can invite Christ into our life, and we can be connected with our Heavenly Father eternally and permanently through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I can promise you that's what God wants for every single person on this planet. You're never going to have relationships that work until you have this relationship working. God says, let me into your life. I'm begging you, let me come in and remove the sin and the shame and the guilt and the condemnation. I want to give you life and freedom and hope. Will you pray with me? So, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you made the first move. We would be insufficient to start a relationship with you. But the great news is Jesus came. He took my sin. He took your sin. 
and he bore it in his body on the cross. And it was nasty. He was condemned by his heavenly Father. He was forsaken by God Almighty and judged on the cross for your sin and for mine. Now, he did that because he loves you, and he wanted to remove that barrier. And he's done everything he can do to do that, and yet you still have a choice this morning. Will you receive what he's done for you into your life? Will you place your faith in Christ that what he did on the cross is sufficient to remove your sin? That you won't trust in your own good works, your own goodness, but in Christ alone. That's the invitation God has for us today. He says, I want to know you. I want you to know me by placing your faith in my son, Jesus, today. And if that's you, simply call out on God and say, God, I want you to remove this sin from my life. I want to turn from it. I don't want to follow that anymore. I want to, I want to follow you. And so I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead. And I want to live my life to please you from this day forward. Man, if that was your prayer today, God is, God said, I'm here. I've come in. And I'll never leave you or forsake you. You have eternal life. God, I want to pray for the person in this room that is in the middle of conflict right now. And there's someone that they, they have a problem with. There's somebody they're not talking to. There's somebody that they have built up bitterness inside of their spirit. And Father, I pray right now that they will self-evaluate. They will look at the own desires of their heart and confess anything in them that is off. tell God, I was wrong when I said this. I was wrong when I did that. My attitude's been wrong, whatever it is. Secondly, once you do that, I want you to ask for God's help. His grace is sufficient. Say, God, would you give me the power to forgive the person for how they've offended me? forgive them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave that. Whether they ever acknowledge they were wrong, whether they ever say that they're sorry, that just between me and you, God, I can let go of this offense and offer forgiveness to them and set my own heart free from the bitterness that is, is in it. And once you've done those first two things, then I want you to just intend today before God that you'll go to that person and admit whatever part you've had in the relationship being broken. Even if it's 5% and they're wrong 95%, you're going to go and admit the 5% and how you were wrong and ask for them to forgive you. Lastly, Father, for all of us, I just pray for this spirit of of yielding and, and submission to you, God, that we would we would be not too proud to say, God, I need you all the time. And I willingly yield my life to you. I give up my rights to myself, and I acknowledge that they are now in your hands to do with my life as you choose. 
And God, as I do that, that I'm going to place other people as more important and ahead of me. And I willingly take third place. God, that you might restore life and peace and contentment in the relationships of my life. And God, we ask these things in Jesus' name.